Genesis chapter 3, would you please? <clears throat> there are two things that hinges. When we talk about marriages, there are two hinges that really make marriages work. One on the husband's part, another on the wife's part. We've talked about the husband's part, probably so much that I feel that you understand it, gentlemen. What God has called you to do in the life of your wife is a monumental thing. To be her husband is to be like Christ in her life. We are to love husbands. We are told in Ephesians when we started all of this, husbands, love your wives like... Oh, man, I forgot. Uh, how'd I go? <laughs> Someone said, sure. <laughs> I know, bad try. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Gentlemen, there is no greater privilege that you and I will have as a married man than to fulfill every hope and dream and aspiration of your wife as long as you draw breath. I tell you, you can be a success at every level of your life, and if you have a home that is out of order, everything else will fall apart. Watch. Take a look at people who who have um, difficult marriages and um, see how happy they may or may not be. And so our, our, our job is that, and, and, and we also have been given a tremendous responsibility. Part of the curse that falls upon us as men, as we're going to read today, is that from, from the day forward that man ate of the fruit of that tree... He was going to toil the rest of his days. By the sweat of his brow, he would earn his keep. And he says, God says, by dust you've been formed and dust you will return. And there will be thorns and thistles in your work field. Any of us that, that work at all know there are difficulties in any type of a job. In any kind of endeavor, there are high spots and low spots. And so part of our curse is that, but it Another part of the curse that most of us don't understand, I think, as men, is, is that we are to rule over our wives. Now that, some men would say, yeah, right, I want to be the man in my house. But to say that, you really don't understand what it means biblically to be someone who would rule over his home. Jesus Christ taught us a couple of weeks ago, if it was not last week, I don't remember if it was that week or the week before, but in Matthew chapter 20, he taught the, the, the disciples. Remember when, when James and John's mom come, came to the Lord and, and said, Can my sons sit on your left and your right? And he says, That is not for me to give. He says, I, I, I can't give that. That is for my father to give. And then he says, But are they able to do what they think they can do? In other words, can they go through what... I'm about to go through. Then he said, and he gathered his men together, and the other ones became a little indignant over the, the two brothers. and They wanted to be with him as well. And He said, listen, if you really want to be a leader, you have to first become a servant. If you really want to know what it means to lead, he says, you've got to be the slave of all. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? but to serve. And so 
gentlemen, when, when we talk about being the head of the home, being the leader of the house, we are to be our wife's servant, our wife's slaves. We are to care for them the best we know how. It is our responsibility to be that type of man. And I say to you, gentlemen, there is no greater endeavor on the face of this earth than to live this day, this day, with the anticipation that the Lord might come back and with the privilege of trying to treat your wife with all the dignity and care that she so richly deserves. Let her be on an altar. Treat her with great, great love. That's one of the hinges of marriage. The second one is a woman's part. And today, because of the curse, you're going to see, ladies, where this problem lies for us as men. Where the problem lies within a family that we, instead of having an atmosphere that is absolutely, totally loving one another and caring for one another, thinking more highly of one another than we do our own self, we get into this situation. And many a home is like this, where we, we argue and bicker and we, we just don't even understand why. We really don't dislike our mate. We really don't. We haven't fallen out of love with her or him, but, but for some reason we have this battleground going on. And I want to reverse that curse. And I'm going to show you how. Ladies, the ball today is in your court Watch with me this place in Scripture. We saw that the problem fell directly upon the curse of sin. Once Adam and Eve, as we saw last week, ate of that tree, which God commanded them, don't eat of this tree. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But they ate and they disobeyed God's word, placing automatically a consequence upon their souls. Look at chapter 3. Let's review just for a brief moment. Verses 6, 7, and 8. When the woman saw in verse 6 that the tree was good for food, and she saw that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make her wise, she took from its fruit and she ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the, the eyes of both of them were open, it says in verse 7, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loin coverings. And then in verse 8, we are told that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid, hid, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. First, we see that sin made them look to themselves first, seeing that they were naked, wanting only now to take care of themselves. You see, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 is critical to a marriage, any marriage. It's critical to relationships, but it's critical to a marriage. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness, nor empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than you do your own self. 
was no need for Adam to see that he was naked. There was no need for Eve to see that she was naked. Her job was to consider her husband. His job was to consider his wife, to think more highly of them than he did his own self. goes on to say in verse 4, not merely looking out for their own personal interests, but looking out for, caring for the interests of one another. That makes a great marriage. When everything in my life revolves around Kay, my wife, when everything that I do is, is considered her first, what would this mean? If I did this, what would this mean to Kay? If I were to go this way, what would this mean to Kay? How can I better Kay in what I am going to do? That should be my thought process. And hopefully that should be hers as well. And so they knew that they were naked. They, they saw themselves. And also in verse 8 it said that they hid from God. Amazing. From the very, the one that, that, that gave them all of life, they separated themselves from God Almighty. It's, it's a promise of what God said. And when you eat of this, this fruit, you shall surely die. And they died. They didn't die physically, but spiritually there was an a void in their lives, a void that, that now even they didn't want God to even fill. Sin does its terrible work upon us. Sin also, as we see in this example, hinders the cure. The cure is forgiveness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Seeking forgiveness for what we have done wrong. But what they do is they blame the other person. That's what sin will always do. It will always find someone who did something wrong so as to find yourself in this mess. Remember verses 12 and 13? We didn't read it this morning, but look. In verse 12, it, the man said to the woman, The woman whom you've given to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. She, she made me do it. I didn't want to do it, Lord. <laughs> and then so the Lord God had said in verse 13 to the woman, What is this that you've done? And she said, the serpent, he, he deceived me. And with that, God had no choice but to place His promised curse upon mankind and ultimately upon us as well. You see, a curse is an ongoing daily battle that we have against something that will, is, is relentless. It will not let us go. We have to fight it every single day. So let's read and see what the curse is upon the women. Upon the men, I think I've already explained it, I, I believe. But let's see if we can't reverse this curse in our homes. And ladies, you hold the key. Read with me, please, in Genesis chapter 3. Let's read from verse 14. And there's a key word in it. The key word is in verse 16. It is the word desire. To get the true understanding of the word desire, we have to read chapter 4 because we see that word explained completely in the life of Cain and Abel. 
I must say to you, this is one of my favorite places. And again, I'd say it. I know. Uh, this is one of my favorite places to teach. It's it's uh, it shows where mankind has gone astray. It shows us how people spin off and move away from God in such a quick fashion if they're not careful. Watch what happens from verses 14 to chapter 4, verse 7. Watch how fast this slide is. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that's hatred, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. That is an example, a a testament of the coming Messiah. Her seed was the seed that would come forth, the Messiah. His seed is his seed himself. Out of her seed will come enmity between you and her seed. He will bruise you eventually on the head. You're just going to bruise him on the heel as not a death blow. Okay, that's dealing with Satan. Now let's get to our let's get to our part. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we see the two curses. The curse given to the woman, the curse given to the man. We'll take note of it more in a moment. Now let's see what happens after the curse was given. Verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out. And at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim with a flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Now... The man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she says, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Let me just edit right here just something. When she made that that statement, I have gotten a man-child by the help of the Lord, she was anticipating that this child, Cain, was going to be the Messiah. 
the one that was promised to them that was going to come to be the Savior of the world. She was going to have to wait, along with everybody else, some 2,000 more years after this. But she anticipated the Messiah was going to come through her, the seed of the woman. Verse 2, Then again she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. It says the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And here's this word again, ladies. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Father, Everything of our marriages hinges upon the understanding of what this word desire means in the heart of a woman so that she might know exactly what it is that, that is, is happening to her and why. And, and that a curse is a curse is a curse. It's, it's not something that you can just deal with and get better with and it's gone tomorrow. It is, it is an ongoing process. It is a curse that will be a part of our lives all of our lives just as pain in childbirth just as us as men having to toil on the ground in which we have been 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 born we will sweat and toil for our our living all of these things father god are a part of the curse and each one of them have to be dealt with but i'm fearful father that the word desire is so misunderstood that the women don't even have a fighting chance to understand what is happening in their relationship with their husbands and why there is this arguing. And so, Father, would you please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. We pray, amen. Okay, verses 14 and 15. God deals with Satan. Tells him, you're going you're gonna to lose. He's going to bruise. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to bruise you on the head. And you're going to bruise him on the heel. It's not a death blow. And as we know, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He, he went to the cross and Satan thought he had victory. And three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so Satan's end is fixed here in verses 14 and 15. If you want to know about them... Everything you need to know about him is written in those two verses. God's going to put enmity, that is hatred, between the seed of the woman and his seed. The seed of the woman, of course, is none other than the coming Messiah, who we know to be Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so with that curse given to Satan, God then turns to the woman and to the man. 
And he places a curse upon the both of them for being disobedient to his word, eating from the tree which they were told not to eat from. In verse 16, God says to you ladies, to the woman he said, I am going to greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, I was in the operating room for both the birth of my son, John Mark, and my daughter, Cassie. And forevermore, my wife will be my hero. That was, the birth of John Mark took, uh, I think, I don't want to exaggerate. I want to say it's a long time. I'm going to cut it back. I think it was longer than this, but she was through labor about, I don't know, 14 hours. That's a long time, I know. It was, if she had a rough time with John Mark. He was trouble from the get-go. And, and, and I was in there, and the doctor looked at me and said, if you faint, you're on your own. Nobody's going to help you. I was getting a little lightheaded. And I said, I need something to eat. And so they went and got me a candy bar. I promise you they did. And anyways, I'm in there, and I'm watching Kay. And I'm, I've heard people say that, you know, I've been through pain like a childbirth. And I've heard guys say that. I heard a joke one time. A guy said, you want to know what it feels like to give birth to a child? Oh, yeah, I can handle it. He said, okay, grab your lower lip. The guy grabs his lower lip. You know, says, I'll pull it out as far as you can. He pulls it out, you know. Oh, he said, that starts to hurt. He said, no, pull it a little more. So oh, it's starting to hurt. He says, no, no, I'm not through. He says, no, wrap it around your head. <laughs> it's not normal to give birth to a baby, and it hurts. Part of the curse. And it never stops. It's for every woman that ever lives. It is a part of the curse that God has placed upon womankind. But the curse that causes the greatest pain within our marriages, ladies, is not that part. I've watched Kay. I've seen her go through something that I thought, man, this is the worst. We'll not have any more children than John Mark. She won't want to go through this again. And I'm telling you, just weeks later, she's loving on that baby. And she's giving me that look like maybe we should have another child. And I'm thinking, do you not remember what we just... The greatest pain within our marriages is seen at the last part of verse 16, where God says, your desire shall be for your husband, but he'll rule over you. Now, this word desire does not mean because of the tremendous pain that you're going to have in childbirth, because that's going to be so intense that you still are going to sexually desire your husband. Now, that that wouldn't be a curse. That would be a blessing. To see the daily problem of this curse within a marriage, within a woman's life, what we need to do is now immediately turn to chapter 4. And we need to see... The meaning of that word in verse 7, desire, is connected to Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve. In verse 2, we see something tremendously interesting in verse 4, in chapter 4, I should say. That, that, that she gave birth to Abel. And, and, and Abel was a, a, a keeper of the flock. In verse 1 we saw that she gave birth to Cain and he was a tiller of the ground. 
What this means is, is that Abel cared for the spiritual matters that went on within that family. He took care of the animals. While Cain took care of the physical needs of the family. He took care of the daily needs for food. Now, food at this time was not any meat or animal. Look at chapter 9. This is kind of fun. Just jump ahead to chapter 9. After the flood, there's a, they have a great flood and, 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 and uh, Noah and, and his family lands. And, 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 and God says in chapter 9 and verse 1, He blessed Noah when the, when the, when the, the ark landed and, and He blessed His sons and He said to them all, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And it says in verse 2, And the Lord God said, The fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground, all the fish of the sea, into your hands they are given. And every moving thing, he says in verse 3, that is alive shall be food for you. I give it all to you as I gave you the green plant. In other words, at this point, after the flood, God allowed mankind to eat animals. Their diets changed after the flood. But before that time, the only thing they ate was the fruit of the ground. And, and Abel, excuse me, Cain, cared for their physical need, the, the need for food. Now how do we know that Abel was the one that cared for the sacrifices just just by taking care of the animals. It's very subtle, but you and I can see it. You're in Genesis. Turn to the right. Exodus and then Leviticus. Leviticus. Exodus and then Leviticus chapter 17. Please turn there. I want you to see it. I want you to even, if you uh, have a tendency to mark your own Bibles, you might want to mark something in here. God gave us, mankind, an example of blood for the forgiveness of sin. He did so when he took an animal and made a skin, in other words, a covering for Adam and Eve in the garden when they first sinned against him. Watch what happens. It says in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, For the life of the flesh is where? The life of the flesh is where? It's in the blood. And note, God says, I have given it, blood, that life, I have given it to you, where? On the altar. When did he do that? He did that when he clothed Adam and Eve in the garden. He used the skin of an animal. In chapter 3 and verse 21, it said, The Lord God made garments out of the skin of animals for Adam and Eve and his wife. And he clothed them with this skin. But he didn't just use the skin he used the examples. He said here in Leviticus 17.11, He says, I have given you this blood on an altar. You've seen it. He says, look, as it goes on in, in verse 11, I have given it to you on the altar to make an atonement. That means a payment for your soul. Because, he says, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes an atonement. An atonement is a payment for sin. And so when God made clothes 
for Adam and Eve. He made it out of the skin of an animal and he sacrificed that animal on an altar first for the forgiveness of their sin of eating of that fruit which he told them they should not eat. Gave them forgiveness. He sacrificed the animal there and then for the forgiveness of their sin against him. You see, Blood, we learn in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, the ninth chapter, the 22nd verse. That too you might want to get to know. It says in Hebrews 9.22, Without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness. Let me say it again. Without the shedding of blood, we are told in Hebrews 9.22, there is no forgiveness. Forgiveness. So God has set a precedent for life and for forgiveness and for all that surrounds anything that we might do that is sinful. So from the very beginning of time, from Adam and Eve, that we know it, God showed them and mankind that blood would be the covering, the payment for sin. In the Old Testament, he uses the blood of animals. That's why Abel, was uh, he took care of the flock. He, he made sure that they had animals there to sacrifice when they sinned. And in the New Testament, we have the privilege of having the forgiveness of our sins given to us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the very Son of God, shed His blood for us. So we see, if you go back to Genesis chapter 4, we see that that Abel, in verse 2, took care of the family's spiritual needs. He cared for the flock. Whereas Cain took care of the family's physical needs. He He cared for their food so that they could eat daily. He grew the food out of the fruit of the ground. Now we read something very interesting. In chapter 4, in verses 3 and 4, we find out something that is critical to understanding what is about to take place. Now, without understanding the words, in the course of time, then you are lost. The the words in the course of time in the Hebrew relate that there is a specific predetermined place. There is a specific predetermined time. And there is a specific predetermined action that is going to take place wherever they go on this course of time that they come to. So, look at verse 3. It came about in this course of time. In other words, this specific time, specific place, specific action was going to take place that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. In verse 4 we are told, Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and he brought their fat portions Now, something very interesting takes place at the end of verse 4. 
That is, unless you understand that they went there for a reason and they went there with something definite in mind, Adam and Eve did. Watch. It says in verse 4, the last part of it, the Lord God had regard for Abel and for his offering. In other words, he liked what he brought. But it says in verse 5, watch, but for Cain... And his offering, God had no regard. He didn't like it. So it says at the end of verse 5, Cain became angry. His countenance fell. Make no mistake about it. What we just read in verses 3, 4, and 5 is the first of many, many, many attempts at another way to get to God. We see it all over the place. There are all sorts of churches that open, all sorts of religious beliefs, all sorts of ways to God. You can name Him by any name you want to name Him, and you can try to create any way you can to find a way to to appease God. But let me say to you, the reason that Cain did not find favor with God because of what he brought, because it was... Cain's way and not God's way. He did not come, Cain didn't, he did not come to God as God asked him to come. And God will not allow any of us to come to Him any other way than what He prescribes. That's why we really got to know the Bible. We really got to know what He is saying here about how and why and, and, and where and all of the reasons we need to come to Christ and what does it mean to come to Christ it is critical. If, if God had no regard for Cain, how will He have regard for anyone that ever comes to Him any other way than what He has prescribed? That's why you and I have to build our life upon Christ if we love Him and believe in Him. When He says, you, nobody comes to the Father but through Me, He's not stuttering. He's trying to make it definite for you and me to know there is but one way to God. There is salvation and no other name that has been given to you and me uh, uh, under heaven um, by which you and I must, must, must be saved. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not hide and seek, this thing called religion. It's right out in the open for everyone to see. And so in verse 4, when Abel brought this this, this animal, this firstling of his flock, in other words, the best of the best, and the fat portions thereof so that they could burn that off. God says, good, I have regard for that. That's good. That is exactly what I've asked you to bring. But it says in verse 5, for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. He, he had no respect for what Cain brought him. He just didn't like it. Why? Why didn't he like it? I mean, come on. Wasn't it pretty enough? I'm here to say to you that I believe with all of my heart Cain put a lot of effort into that. I don't think he just haphazardly brought some fruit of the ground to to God Almighty. I think he wanted to make it really special. I believe it was his best. I believe he gave it with the best of intentions to impress God with what he has done. I believe Cain wanted to show God that he could come to him just as as wonderfully as Abel did. Because we're going to see in a little while, he doesn't like Abel. And see, I believe this is why Cain gets so angry. 
because he put a lot of effort in this. And why doesn't God accept what Cain brought him? Seems to be his best. It's simple. It's as simple as, as the nose on my face. It, it isn't what God said for him to do. God asked for blood. He asked for a, a sacrifice of an animal for the forgiveness of sin. And Cain had no right to change what God had asked him to do. So God reasons with Cain. Here is, to me, one of the most tender moments in Scripture. God reasons with Cain. He says to him in verse 6, Cain, and, and I, I, I read it like this because I feel this is what God says. Why are you angry? I mean, how many times you, maybe to your son or to your, your daughter, to somebody, you know, you look at them and, and you see they're, they're in the midst of doing something that is absolutely, utterly foolish. It is, it is foolhardy what they are doing. And you look at them and say, what happened? Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen, he said in verse 6? If you do well. In other words, if you, if you do as I've asked you to do, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you don't, sin's going to crouch at your door. It's desire. I, I've read all of this to get to that word to you, ladies. It's desire is for you. The word, the word desire means that sin is trying to control you, Cain. You've got to master it, Cain. God says if you do well, in other words, if you do as I've asked you to do, your countenance is going to be lifted up. In other words, you're going to be okay. But if you don't, if you continue to do it your way, Cain, your way, Cain, then sin is crouching at your door. And sin is trying to desire you. It's trying to control you. I want you to note something about this. This is for men and women, this part. Ladies, this isn't all about you at this part. It's about all of us. Sin has to be handled by us personally and us alone. In other words, you can't... You can't Rent out sin. In other words, confess it for me, would you please, dear? <laughs> no, you've got to muster up your own confession when you've done wrong. Well, within our marriages, the rest of the story is irrelevant. Needless to say, Cain did not handle the problem well. Because if you'll note in verse 8, it says, Cain then told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, the Cain rose up against Abel and he killed him. Just killed him. But here's the problem, ladies. The word master, I mean, excuse me, desire. First thing that you ought to do is to try to stop desiring your husband. In other words, trying to control or master him. God said as clearly as God could say it that he would rule over you. And for you to try to rule over him is vehemently against what God has asked you to do within the marriage. Now, I've had a lot, of, a lot of ladies come to me and say, oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. I, and I had one, one time had me hook, line and sinker. She was as cute as you'd ever want to see. And she was like just cute as could be this little, and this guy was huge. And she said, well, I couldn't do that. And I looked at him and I looked at her and I said, you know, she probably couldn't. 
So I said, yeah, well, if that ever, if you ever get that feeling, just think about it, but I don't think you would. And so I went home and I said, you know, told Kay, and Kay said, she's got two of you wrapped around her finger. Him and now you. <laughs> she's going to just get that guy tied into knots. There is nobody that can get away from this curse of trying to control your husband. Gentlemen, ladies, Ladies, if your husband loves you like Christ asks him to love you, he will be more vulnerable at that point in time than at any time in his life. And if you're not careful, you can walk right over him because part of your curse is trying to control this lug, trying to desire his place. And only two things can happen if you do. Both of them are bad. One of them is terrible. At least in my mind. The first one is, you try to control this guy. You kind of come against, no, this and that, and you just are against him, against him, against him. And if he's the man that I hope he is, he'll dig in his heels like a big donkey and say, I'm not moving. There you're going to be. He's holding his own and you're after his position. And you wonder why. If he digs in his heels, you'll end up arguing and you'll probably not even know exactly why and they'll just escalate those arguments. The other one, though, is worse. It's because you're so doggone pretty. God's made you ladies so doggone pretty. And it's so hard to to say no sometimes. And so you finally have him become exactly what you desire. You finally are controlling this guy. And he gives in. And now what you have, ladies, is no longer a husband. You now have a lady friend. I have women come to me and cry. <laughs> He's not the man I married. He's not the man I married. I don't know what has happened to him. I said, well, I can't talk to just you alone. Can you ask to bring him in and let's try to reason what and see what happens? So she, he comes in and man, he walks in and, and he has had such a makeover. He might as well be wearing a dress. He doesn't know... He doesn't know where to sit until she tells him. He doesn't know what to do. He's just like another one of her girlfriends. And I think to myself, no, he's not the man and you married. You've turned him into a flipping woman. If your husband is loving you, ladies, as you so wish, for the sake of your marriage, understand what you're doing. And some of you might not even realize it. You might have to go to your husband and ask him the tough question that I've asked the husbands to ask you. When I ask the husbands, how are you doing? How am I doing? Am I loving you like you need to be loved? And I wanted you ladies to be honest and tell him. You might have to ask your husband, am I trying to control you? And then hold on if he's honest to you. He might tell you, yes, it's hard living with you. You try to do and usurp every decision that I make. And if you are controlling your husband, I beg of you, 
by the Word of God and for your husband's sake and for your sake, ladies, stop. Do not desire your husband. Do not to try to control him. Then you might ask, okay, okay, then how? How do I change him? And the answer is simple. You don't. God does. God forbid that you would change your husband into the man that you want him to be. You don't have a clue what kind of a man that God wants your husband to be. Let God change him. Let God turn this guy into the man that God wants him to be. And then you and he both will be more happy than you've ever known. That's why, ladies, I beg of you, get your men into our mob groups, into our, our, our breakfasts, into a situation where they're on one-on-one time, or not one-on-one, but small groups with, with other men so that we can talk with each other and, and help each other become the man that God wants us to become. Ladies, you are not to become your husband's Holy Spirit. But you say he's not the man of God in my home for me or no, my children. Well, if you're willing to listen, you won't want to miss next week. In fact, if you're willing to listen, you will be here next week with friends. Next week, we go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 6 for the ladies. It gives you a lot of information. For us guys, just a verse. He knows, God knows we can't handle more than a verse. Verse is plenty for us. But next week, the answer for you of how you are to, to help your husband to become the man of God in your home it will be as clear to you as a, the sound and the ringing of a bell. But let me say this to you. It will not be and it is not e- an, an easy out. It is, I will give you this, it is a difficult path. But if you allow God to change your husband, I make you this vow. He will therefore be the man of God that you've always wanted. And if you try to do what God wants to do in his life, it will not work. It'll end up like this. Most of us men do not want to be told by our wives what to do all the time. Now, guys, for the sake of your marriage, if you've married, you know, next week we're going to talk about you bought the farm. If you bought this big, expansive ranch that takes a lot of upkeep, And you need to understand that. You need to realize, you need to realize, you need to live with your wives in an understanding way, like a farmer would his land. And guys, it would be, it would be absolutely harmful for your marriages. If you know that you have this type of a woman that you've married to, and you don't delegate to her responsibilities, she'll die. She will die. A woman that needs authority, a woman that needs some sort of of a, a place of leadership must be given that by her husband. It didn't take us long to know in our marriage that Kay is an opinionated lady. And, and Kay has the 
She is a leader. There's no two ways about it. She has that ability. And I tapped into that early and I delegated to her authority in our home that she is over me in her areas. So it allows her to breathe and to be the woman that God has called her to be. It would be shameful if I didn't do that. It would be in my opinion, criminal. And so next week, ladies, you're going to find out what it takes to to change that man of yours into a godly man. And you'll see that it's simple to understand, but it is difficult to live out. I'll grant you that. I'm a little late. I ask your forgiveness. Father in heaven, please, sorry for the time. I hope that doesn't mess up Alma and the kids and I hope it doesn't mess up what we're doing around the church site uh, when I go along like this. Please forgive me, Father. And I pray your blessings upon not only what was said this week, uh, that it was understandable, please, Father, but that, um, that it will really build to what we have to know next week. Next week is critical. I pray that we'll all get to be here in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all.